Hey, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, More Than Bread. We are on episode number 236 at five a week. That's what I do Monday through Friday. I drop another episode at five a week. That's enough for 47 weeks. I'm getting closer and closer to a year's worth of podcast. If this is your first time with us, More Than Bread is a daily, well, at least five times a week daily, a daily dive into scripture. I I read scripture, I talk about it, sometimes read it again, and then pray for you. But more than anything, at least for me, this podcast is a reminder of the value of the treasure of Scripture. I was reminded this week of a book that one of my favorite authors wrote. If you haven't read it, um, wouldn't hurt to get it. It's a book by Eugene Peterson entitled Eat This Book. <laughs> it's a little bit different take on the call to something more than bread. Peterson beautifully describes reading the Bible as a feast, not fast food. It's more than bread. It's a feast of, of spiritual food. In the book, he shares a story and an insight that he gained early in his life, well, well, early compared to where I'm at right now. He was 35, and he writes, I bought running shoes and began enjoying the smooth rhythms of long-distance running. As soon as competing in 10K races every month or so, and then a marathon once a year, by then I was subscribing to and reading three different running magazines, but then I pulled a muscle. Couldn't run for a couple of months. Those magazines, those three magazines were still all over the house, all over the house, but I never opened a single one. But the moment I resumed running, I started reading again. And that's when I realized, he he writes, that my reading was an extension of something that I was part of, something I was doing. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the experience of my running. I, I learned a few things along the way, but mostly I was reading to deepen my world of running. If I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. Peterson continues, the parallel with reading scripture is striking. If I'm not living in active response to the living God, reading about his creation, salvation, holiness will not hold my interest for long. So the most important question is not what does this mean, but what can I obey? Simple obedience, he wrote, simple obedience will open up our lives to a text more quickly than any number of Bible studies, dictionaries, and concordances. Here's what we say at Calvary. When it comes to the Word of God, we listen, we learn, and we lean. The three L's. We listen, we learn, and we lean. We listen for the voice of God, the whisper of the Spirit through the Word of God. And as we listen, we learn. It's not all that we do, but we do do that. We learn about God and about His ways, His values, His heart. We, we learn about life and how to live it, how to thrive in living it. We we learn promises. We learn about God from the face of Jesus, because as we've read already, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But it's not enough to listen and learn. We need to lean in. We need to respond. In fact, rarely should we ever walk away from listening and learning to the words of God without writing down an I will statement. As a result of my listening and my learning, I will what? What will you do? I will fill in the blank. So we're moving forward in Colossians 1. We're, we're really moving forward in Colossians 1, even though we've been here for, I don't know, more than a week's worth of episodes. But but it's a good chapter, and I, I hope you're finding it to be a good chapter. It's one of those places where the words of God so winsomely describe Jesus, the Word of God, that we ought not to leave it too quickly. So in this episode, we're going to focus in on Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 through 29, the end of the chapter. This will be the last episode, I'm pretty sure, on chapter one of Colossians. But 
I'm going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 29, because it's just that good. I just can't get away from verses 15 through 20. As you listen, I'm reading from the New International Version. Here's what Paul says. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, the preeminence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, Jesus, he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, you are free from accusation. This is the gospel that you heard and and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Remember, he's in prison. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. God gave me a commission. God gave Paul a commission to present the word of God in all its fullness. And you know what? He's given you the same commission. He's given me the same commission to present to others the word of God in all its fullness. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, to this end, for this goal, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Christ was Paul's all. And such an amazing all that Paul could say, I rejoice in my suffering on your behalf because when I'm doing it for Jesus, I want to give it all I got. (laughs) In the last episode, we closed with a story that Gary Thomas tells about Mike. In the beginning, whenever Gary was around Mike, he just wanted to be like Mike. But in the end, when Gary was around Mike, he just wanted to be like Jesus. I love how Gary Thomas describes him. He writes, Mike is now the type of guy whose spirit invites you to quiet your heart, get rid of all pretenses, and revel in God's presence. I think the main difference is that in college, when I was around Mike, I wanted to be like Mike. And now after spending time with Mike, I just want to be more like Jesus. How did that happen? What what changed? Well, Jesus became Mike's all. Mike's life magnified Christ so much that when people looked at Mike, what they saw was Jesus. See, this is what happens when we determine that Jesus is nothing less than all. You've heard me say that 
Jesus is nothing less than all. In fact, Jesus is nothing less than God. Paul writes that in verses 19 and 24, in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's nothing less than God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. When we look at Christ, we see the face of God. He he is the image, but not not images in a reproduction print. All the fullness of God dwells in him. John calls Jesus the word, the word of creation, the word of God. And he writes in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. God is, Jesus is not just God-like or God-light. He's not just a superhuman man or an ascended master. He's 100% fully God. And Paul says that not only is he nothing less than God, he's nothing less than our Savior. Now, you've heard me say already that as as we look at Colossians, there's this amazing focus on on a gloriously wonderful Jesus. But but over and over again, Paul, Paul goes from this glorious and wondrous Jesus to the mission of Christ, to the mission that Jesus invites us to be with him on. So Jesus is nothing less than our Savior. That's the mission. He's rescuing us, redeeming us. You might call him our next door Savior because he came to live amongst us 100% God and 100% man. That's the doctrine of the incarnation, fully God, fully man. He came to live in our midst, fully man. Why? To save us, to reconcile us to God, to bring peace by his sacrifice on a cross, the blood of his cross for the life of the world. So here comes the mission application, the neighborhood application, because at Calvary, we say everybody has a front yard mission. Love your neighbors. Be generous with Jesus, with your neighbors. In in verses 19 through 23, Paul describes the reconciling mercy of Jesus. This is our mission, to bring the reconciling mercy of Jesus to others. He, He writes, and you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. His death on the cross has reconciled us to Jesus, to God. Why did he do it? In order to present us holy and blameless and above approach before God. If indeed you continue in the faith, there's a commitment there, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's saying, you who once were alienated and hostile in your minds towards God, you who once were separated from God, enemies of God, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you by his death. He's repaired the relationship. And in fact, not just you, but all things. Paul says, all of creation. (laughs) And of course, if something needed to be reconciled, That means that something was broken. Specifically, the relationship was broken. Our relationship with God was broken. Creation's relationship with the Creator was broken. And you, Paul says, were broken. Listen to me. The the end you, that's not just your broken neighbors, not just your broken workplace members. It's not just your broken... It's broken you. It's broken me. We, We understand that, right? Paul is talking to us. When we say my neighborhood is broken or my neighbor is broken or that person over there is so broken, we should understand that we are uniquely prepared to love broken people, to love people who are enemies of God. We're uniquely prepared to love the doers of evil deeds because before Jesus rescued us, we were part of the broken. 
in need of reconciliation. And, and you know, for most of us, let's be honest, that's not an easy admission for some of us. When the Bible starts talking about evil deeds, we start looking around us for all the evil that's a 10 on the good-bad scale because we know that we're less than 10. So that wasn't me. But listen, it either is you or it was you. There are no other options. But the good news is that not only are you uniquely prepared to love broken people in need of reconciliation, you are uniquely qualified to share the hope of the gospel. You are uniquely qualified to bring the message, my neighborhood is broken, but there's hope. You're uniquely qualified to bring to your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors. You're broken, but there's hope. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the good news of the good news. We, we were broken, but there's hope, the hope of the gospel. You know, I love, I love hope stories. Mary Poplin was professor and dean of the School of Educational Studies at Claremont University. She, she attended a Methodist church as a child, but as an adult, she began searching other spiritual traditions, including Buddhism and transcendental meditation, even telepathic attempts to bend spoons. In 1993, she became a teacher. She became a Christian, excuse me, as a teacher at Claremont when she was finally rescued by Christ through the the mission of a graduate student who loved her like a neighbor should love her. She she describes a student as someone who who simply lived his life differently. He he prayed for her for eight years, and, and he would say irritating things to her, like, if you ever want to do anything with your spiritual life, I'd like to help you. That was irritating, she said, because I thought I was doing plenty with my spiritual life. You know, I was bending spoons. <laughs> and the other more dispre- distressing thing is he would ask me questions like, do you believe in evil? This guy worked at her university as a professor for a year on a sabbatical, um, and when he left, Mary had a dream. She said, I felt empty and confused, and in the dream, I was in a long line of people suspended in the air. The line seemed eternal on both ends, and Jesus was standing, greeting us in line. And when I looked at Jesus, she said, in my dream, I knew immediately what I was seeing. I, I couldn't even look at him. Maybe just for a second, I fell down to his feet and started weeping. And the only way I can describe the feeling I had in the dream is that I could sense every cell in my body, and I felt total shame in every cell. She said, and then Jesus grabbed my shoulders, and I felt total peace, like I'd never felt in my life. I woke up, and I was crying. So she grabbed her phone and called this guy, the grad student, the professor. He'd never told her he was a Christian, but she called him and said, you know, I think I need to talk to you about my spiritual life. And he said, let's meet for dinner. And at dinner, he said to her, why do you think you have to do something with your spiritual life now? And out of her mouth came something she never expected to say, never had even thought about it. She said to him, I have some black thing in my chest, and I don't know what it is. And he just nodded like that was normal. And and she told him the dream and said, what do I do? He gave her a Bible, gave her a Bible, and told her, you could read five Psalms a day and one chapter of Proverbs. In her own words, she tells her story. She said, I, I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm really going to do it this time. And, and then he said, since Jesus was the one in your dream, you might even read the New Testament. And that's how casual he was about it. 
So I began to read them, and we began to meet in a town between our cities about once a week. That was November to January. In January, she said my mother wanted to go to North Carolina, where she had grown up, and she went to this little Methodist church, not, not because she was religious. She just wanted to see her friends. When we got there, she says, I, I was really moved to just go up to the altar and give my life to the Lord. It wasn't even an altar call. It was a communion call. The, the guy said, you don't have to be a member of any church to take communion. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ lived, that he died for your sins, and you have to want him in your life. And when he said that, she said, I was so powerfully moved that I actually thought if a tornado rips through this building, I'm still going to get that communion. She took the communion, knelt down and said, please come and get me. Please come and get me. Please come and get me. And as she took the communion and said those words, she says, I, I felt free. I felt like tons of things had been lifted off of me. I began to have an insatiable desire to read the Bible. Romans 1 says that God is obvious to everyone, and the minds of people who deny him become darkened. Though they think they're wise, they're actually foolish. That was me, she said. But the scriptures began to heal my mind so I could actually think again. Do you understand? Jesus rescued her from the dominion of darkness and brought her into the kingdom of life. He's doing that all the time. All around you, Jesus is rescuing people from the dominion of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light and life. Her relationship with God was broken, but he reconciled her to God through his death on the cross. He brought her life. See, that's why we're called to be nothing less than all in. When it comes to loving Jesus... And when it comes to loving our neighbors, in fact, in, in Colossians 1.29, Paul says, I, I want to make the word of God warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So just ask yourself, maybe this is part of your I will statement. Just ask yourself, for what do I toil? What do I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully works within me, with all the energy of Christ, with, with all the power that God gives me, for what do I toil? See, that's why I read verses 15 through 20 again, because this is what, this is who Paul was willing to toil for with all his energy. He was toiling for Jesus, to know Jesus, to share Jesus. He, he was toiling for, verse 15, the Son who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Father God, I pray for each and every one of us listening, for each and every one of us right now in this moment, that you'd give us a, a vision of what it looks like for us to go all in for you, to go all in for you, to go all in for sharing you, Jesus, with, with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates. God, what does it look like for us to go all in. God, we need to go all in, all in for Jesus, this, this all-consuming Christ. 
Jesus, I pray that you would give us grace. I pray that you would give us mercy. I pray that you would pour your love out upon us so that we would go all in for you, that we would toil for you with all the energy that we have, that we would toil so that more people would know who you are. Thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us and around us. We are so grateful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.